This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. On today's episode, we're chatting with Will Lamble. Will farms alongside his family on their property, Wenya, near Turawena. The 8,500-acre family property is a mixed farming operation with cropping, shorthorn cattle, as well as 2,200 head of self-replacing merinos. As you'll hear, Will is particularly focused on the livestock component of their business, as well as the industry as a whole including his role on the board of a local marketing cooperative, Turawina Prime Lamb. In this episode, Will discusses the importance of meeting market specifications, as well as the strength in numbers that a marketing cooperative provides. He also shares how he tries particularly hard to practice what he preaches by striving for quality in his lamb and making sure he's sending a prime animal to sale. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Advisor, Rowan Leach, sat down for a chat with Will overlooking the majestic Warrumbungle Ranges. G'day listeners, today I'm with Will Lamble out near Galaganbone. Will, welcome to the Seeds for Success podcast. Thanks Rowan, thanks for having me. Can you start off by giving us a bit of a description of your operation here at Wenya? Yeah, so we're at Wenya, we're 30k's east of Galaganbone up against the western side of the Warrumbungles. It's a pretty picturesque view from your kitchen window, mate. Yeah, mate. Best view in Australia, if you ask us. Yeah, but we're eight and a half thousand acres or not quite. Mixed farming, dry land cropping, self-replacing merino flock and shorthorn cow herd as well. How many sheep and cows are you running? Uh, We will carve down about 110 cows this year, slowly getting numbers back up from the drought. Sort of came back to about 20 or 30 odd sort of core breeders, the, the original cows that we held on to. And we joined 2,200 merino ewes, lamb down about 2,100 of them. And they're joined to merinos, self-replacing, you said? Yeah, 1,500 go to a merino ram. As a maiden, we class out that bottom 20% and they just go into a mob of their own and we just join them to a white suffolk and just have a little crossbred operation on the side. And what are your soil types here on Wenya? Predominantly, it's either sort of more black or that chocolate loam and into that red carajong country and a little bit of lighter stuff, but mainly red loam to chocolate black loam. And you said that there's actually a fair bit of fall on the place, even though it probably doesn't look like it at the time. Yeah, it's deceiving. Like from the top of the place to the bottom, we have a creek runs right through the middle of us and there's roughly about 30 metres of fall. You can't pick it, but it's definitely there. And what vegetation is on the place? Our main pasture for the sheep is loosened. We're loosened dominant with winter fodder crop, barley, oats. We've been trying to put in a bit of a shotgun mix of brassica and vetch and ryegrass, but we just sort of can't get the rain at the right time or we get too much rain. So there's seed sitting in the shed there that's been there for 18 months probably. But so yeah, the ewes are mainly on on loosening and then just all native grasses, a bit of velk grass in the summer and ryegrass through the creek and then it runs into clover and crow's foots in the winter yeah, and medics. But you've got plans to pasture improve, do you? Yeah, we do. Yeah, there's... a area of the place that we'd you know, over the next 10 or so years we'd like to run into more temperate improved pastures sort of try and fill those feed gaps february to may while you're waiting for fodder to come up 
and your loosen sort of run out or you've already grazed it. So just try and have 12 months of feed on offer all year round. Getting back to your livestock operations, what are your genetics in your merino flock? So we're full Haddon Rig blood. It yeah, have been since the 80s. I think we started buying rams from Haddon Rig, yeah. And so what are you aiming for there with some of your breeding objectives? Wool type will handle, like fleece is a big part of our operation. So wool type, and we're still traditionally old school. We like a good looking sheep, plenty of length, plenty of body to put wool on, and then also plenty of carcass at the other end. So what micron are you running at? 20 to 21. Yeah, lambs will go 18 to 19 and the ewes will, yeah, 20 to 21. So how has the season treated you this year? Oh, it was really good until February. <laughs> That's not a long time, mate. <laughs> no, it was like, you know, we came out of 2022 with almost a metre of rain, like 980-odd mil, which is unheard of for here. And then What is your average rainfall here? About 500. So we had yeah, a lot of rain. 2022, 2021 was 800 mil and then we get to February and it just the tap turned off and big wind in February just dried the country right out and just went hard. Yeah, like dad's been here all his life and he's never seen Wenya just go so hard so quick. A lot of people, I've get, been hearing that comment a lot and it's meant that it's taken a lot more rain to wet up the soil and feed just hasn't germinated and, and come away like a lot of people thought it would this autumn, even with a bit of rain. It's just been slow. Like we got fodder in end of March, start of April and it came up really well and just sat there like just too cold and didn't get going and then you get months like June. We had 20 mil for June but in threes and fours in their falls and you get a frost rate after that and it's not applicable anymore, like not even worth raining. Mate, just with your cropping enterprise, what do you do there? Wheat, barley. We've gone back into canola the last couple of years and chickpeas as well. That's continuous cropping or you're cropping it to get into pasture or both? No, we used to be in a like a bit of a rotation, like a loosen five years and then go into crop for five years and vice versa. But we made the decision a couple of years ago, we sort of just put the line down the middle of the place and let's just continually crop there and let's run our livestock over here and just cuts down those spraying costs and inputs on the crop. And you're not working hard the first couple of years out of a loosen stand to control it and a few weeds that come with it. And yeah, we've seen the benefits of that already, I think. Also saw a couple of paddocks of vetch on my way in that looked very appetizing for the sheep that are getting fed on the other side of the fence. What's your strategy there? We did hope to um, trade a few cattle on it, but that window's gone now and the vetch just didn't get going the way we wanted to. It's definitely there, so we'll leave cup paddocks locked up to wean some crossbred lambs onto and there's a paddock there we'd like to bale and just restock the hay shed. And is that a, a weed management tool you use as well, baling, or is that just purely for hay? Purely for hay. This is our first year of vetch and we're trying to find a substitute or something to go with chickpeas. It just for rotation purposes and for that nitrogen as well. Chickpeas can be a bit tricky to grow and sometimes harder to sell. So just looking at another option and yeah, we just thought we'd give vetch a go, yeah. The costs of putting fungicide out on chickpeas can get a bit, and just the labour component can be get a bit tiresome, can't it? Oh, yeah, I think 2021 we grew pretty handy chickpea crop, but it took three or four fungicide sprays from about September onwards and we were stripping it middle of January like yeah, it's... Yeah, it gets a bit tiresome. So you said that you have a bit of a focus on your crossbred lambs. Can you tell me a bit about Turawina Prime Lamb marketing? So Turawina Prime Lamb, TPLMC, is a marketing co-op 
I started in 1996, 97, about half a dozen sort of locally based farmers around Tarawina down to Gilgandra and they just sort of got together and thought let's form a co-op and just try and provide a better way to market their sheep at the time and then that member base has grown in 27 years. It's grown to about 70 members so and over a big array of country too like we're sort of the Queensland border all the way to Tullamore, Tottenham, there's a big cohort down there and then, yeah, all around the Gilgandra region. Deer and Bandy to the Bogan, that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah, we've got two field officers that we employ and they're just purely there to sort of service the members and they're just our internal agents, I suppose you call it, like they do all the assessment and, yeah, help members market those sheep better and it's about the goal of it. So when you say market, who are you selling to? TFI Tenworth probably our biggest consumer. Been lately sending a lot more into Fletcher's in Dubbo as well. But over the hook is what we're aiming for with our, with the members, crossbred lambs and merino weathers too. So it's not boutique sort of niche into butcheries and stuff. It's you're selling like a large-scale commodity. Yeah, trying to, yeah. We're, currently it's a project at the moment of the board to sort of look at a branded product. We'd like to have a go at it just doing the homework about that now and how to get into it best, whether we piggyback on someone else is already doing it, but just trying to find that market to get more bang for buck for members' lambs, like just find that extra premium. What help does a co-op provide? Is it in the form of advice or is it actually able to give a better premium for certain products? I think the benefit of the co-op and how I sort of see it is like we have a business manager, we have an office set up in Gilgandra, so... If it was you, hypothetically, you'd ring up the office and say, look, I've got 200 lambs here wanna, that I think are ready to go. So then they'll send out one of our field officers. They'll come out, assess the sheep, see where they think they should go and then book them into, just say, Tamworth, hypothetically. But then the big benefit, and we call it load building, I call it strength in weight in numbers. You've got 100, I've got 200, then there's another 100 down the road. We can get them all on one truck under one banner and you fill up like a whole shift or like a whole session in the kill chain. So I think that weight in numbers, instead of you trying to fill it like a two-deck unit and you've got to send that extra 50 lambs that aren't quite ready to probably go, but just to help with the freight costs, they've got to go. Your best, my best, old Charlie's down the road's best. You know, we're sending 400 really good in-spec lambs. So that's the difference. That's the benefit as opposed to just ringing your agent and that sort of thing. Yep, and we try to be pretty competitive with our levy system and we run a, a self-insurance fund as well and it's paid back over X amount of years but every lamb that our business here would sell, there's a, a levy back and it sits in a kitty within the co-op and then over X amount of years that'll actually get paid back from five or ten years ago and it just sits there so if we have a bad debt come on or don't get paid or whatever, the member still gets paid, like he still gets his reward for his produce and then, you know, you sort the rest out in the background. But they're the two big things, you know, like, yeah, that self-insurance fund, but that waiting numbers to be able to fill four or six decks of good lambs. So what is the sort of membership and fee structure look like? So you just pay your subscription every year and then we're 2.6% levy on all lambs sold over the hook and, yeah, that's just about how it works. So is the subscription dependent on size or scale of your operation or it's just a flat rate? Just a flat rate. So how has being involved with Tourawina Prime had an impact on your business? 
So I've been back home here for two and a half years and about that same time I was asked if I wanted to have a seat on the board and I'm lucky enough to still sit there now and it's been great. Like you just got that probably that extra edge on what the mark's doing and you're sort of given a project and you sort of think I want to do the best for the members but then at the same time there's that little inkling in the background that you sit back and look at our operation here at Wenya, you know, what's a good outcome for here? It was also a good outcome for members and just get that bit more insight into the market, yeah. Do you think farmers in other areas could replicate what you're doing with Tauruana Prime? We went to a New South Wales Co-op Federation's National Annual Dinner last year down in Sydney and there was about 80 co-ops there represented and all doing, you know, fruit farmers, grain growers, merch stores, all that sort of thing and there's a lot of co-ops out there and, yeah, somewhat like, you know, up in Queensland or further down south wanted to have a replicate what we're doing. I think it's quite achievable, yeah. But you probably don't want to chase too many potential members off. No, <laughs> no, no, you always want to build that member base. And so more members, is there a cap on what you could have or you'd have everyone if you could? No, nah, sky's the limit, yeah. I think just first and foremost you've got to look after the members you've got and especially your old members that have been here for 20-odd years. But, yeah, at the same time, new members are always welcome. Like we meet as a board once a month and probably every second meeting there's probably a new application comes across the desk and we haven't said no to anyone since I've been on the board. Like, yeah, new members are welcome. So, mate, what has it meant for your, like, day-to-day operation? It doesn't change too much of the day-to-day, really. Probably an extra phone call here and there, but it probably puts that more emphasis on what we're trying to preach as a board to members, trying to really bring that back home and set that example so to speak so day-to-day doesn't change too much like you just keep rolling with it so what is the message you're trying to preach to your members just consistent good quality gone to the days where we just put four legs on the ground put it on a truck and sell it genetics now is a huge part of anyone's operation because there's the continued pressure from consumers past the processes that want high quality imf and all those meat eating qualities they sort of want that premium product so that all comes back to the paddock yeah you hear a lot more about market specs and particular breeds maybe some of the composites or whatever start talking about low melting point of the of the fat and that sort of thing it's it's really become bigger part of just your average farmer's operation all that meeting those market specs hasn't it oh 100 like a lot of people talk about just for an example, there's this resistance problem with parasites and weeds and whatever else in day-to-day operations. I sort of think there's a resistance at the consumer end of our products. doesn't matter what it is, whether it's got four legs or comes off a plant, like the resistance there for just run-of-the-mill product is now backlogging the whole system. So if, if you've got consistent high-end good produce, they'll sell well like you can't hide the fact the market at the moment is pretty low like we haven't sold lambs as a co-op this cheap since about 2015 we worked out the other day so we've had eight good years and now all of a sudden the price has come right down but good lambs are selling for good money in today's market so there's that resistance at the plate once it's a chop or a leg roast like they want good products so that just comes back to the paddock. Has having this sort of a bit higher level view of the industry sort of helped your operation more specifically meet market specs. You know the sort of importance of it so that you're really striving to make sure that you're delivering the, the prime article. Yeah, 100%. Yep. Just trying to practice what you preach. That's the big thing. Looking at your first cross operation a bit more, talk me through that. When do you lamb? So we'll join first week of January. So we're a June, July lambing. 
Then we'll go Weans mid-September and sort of hoping to have our first 100 crossbred lambs about Christmas, New Year is usually that aim date to be you know, about that 60 kilos. And then our crossbreds roll through till about April. Like to have the last crossbred gone April and then we roll into our merino weathers after that. And so are you trying to finish all of those grass-fed or, or on loosen or fodder crops? Yeah, ideally. Yeah, trying to finish a lot on some sort of grass. At the moment, there's 350 weathers on grain just to finish them off. But yeah, grass is the aim. Is there any sort of premiums for that grass-fed market? Entirely grass-fed? There's a couple out there. As a co-op, we're really trying to explore them at the moment because moving forward, once we get a bit of a break, I think there will be that premium available for good grass-fed and finished lambs because there's that little bit of resistance for grain-fed stuff on your higher end. So I think there definitely will be come in the spring. If there's, if we get a break, there'll be that bit of premium for a grass-fed finished lamb. So you mentioned before the possibility about having your own branded product. How far along that journey are you? I still research and development, I suppose you'd call it. We've done a few visits to different abattoirs around us in the last sort of 12 months. And we've made a lot of phone calls and just trying to work out the supply chain of it. That's probably the hardest part, the logistics. Like it's growing the lamb, it's probably the easy part. It's actually putting it in a box. We're just sort of working through those stages at the moment. We've got members who have got lambs ready to go that they, at certain times, if we crack into a trial job, we can throw lambs in there straight away. But big picture is we love to service Gilganja region butcher and grocery stores just have a turtle and a prime lamb sticker on your lamb cutlets that'd be awesome i think every farmer would love to sort of see their own meat in the shop shelves but yeah i think that like farmers market and paris farm markets for example yeah it just provides that bit of a premium to your product and people that are actually after a quality product and a assurance that something is going to be quality yeah, 100%. Like you look now, 100% lifetime traceability with the new EID tag rollout that's in place now. It'd be awesome that on your lamb cutlets in, you know, Sydney or in the Hunter Valley there or whatever, like they buy a box of lamb cutlets and it's got a QR code on it. You scan that and you can trace that back to have a photo. They've been grazed in front of the Warren Bungles, you know, like how cool would that be? Yeah, this is wean your lamb. This is... Oh, just anywhere. any Anything with a turtle and a prime lamb sticker on it, that'd be just cool. Yeah, like just give a rap about the co-op and just, you know, who bred it? And then all of a sudden you get a phone call. Where can I get more of that? And there's a flow-on effect. Mate, you paint a pretty good picture for the marketing of some lamb. Hopefully you send me home with some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a couple bags in the freezer. <laughs> Will, I've really enjoyed today. But for my last question for my guest, I'd just like to ask, what do you see as the big issue in Australian ag at the moment? There's probably a couple. <laughs> yeah, you can give me a couple if you want. I think resistance. I think we're doesn't matter what it is, whether you're a cropping operation, straight livestock, resistance from the consumer, I think it's going to really play a part in how the ag industry goes in the next couple of years. So resistance there, you're meaning both resistance amongst the consumer and then also your in-paddock resistance of herbicides and resistance to like fly and, and worms, is that what you mean? Yeah, like parasite resistance, just talk about a a sheep operation, for example, like we're running out of drenches, we're running out of actives that can control our flies and, and lice and people are modifying and changing their management operations and how they go about it. But we're going to get into a corner here shortly if new products aren't released to control those things. And it's the same on a cropping enterprise too, like glyphosate's not what it used to be. Like back in the day, you'd put on 200 mils a hectare and it did a good job. Put on out two litres a hectare and you got to chase that with paraquat. Like it's not doing what it used to and there's just that resistance and 
our input costs are rising and our commodity prices are just staying stable. They don't go hand in hand like that. That's it. There's the saying that if you're staying still, you're actually going backwards. Yeah, 100% I agree. Yeah. Cool. Will, I've had a great time today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.